0: God, we give you praise for an opportunity to look at your word together as a church family. God, we are uh, expectant for you to meet with us here and to speak to us and to show us things about who you are and about our own hearts. And God, we want that. We want to encounter you today. And yet we also know that if we do, it'll make us uncomfortable, that you'll show us uh, sin that's in our hearts, that um, that we need to confess, that we need to repent of. So God, I pray that you would um, help us to embrace the tension this morning of you showing us how sinful we are and yet how loved and accepted we can be in Christ. Lord, I to pray for those who walk in today and they just feel the enormous weight of sin that's in their life. God, that they walk in here and they really feel chained to their sin, enslaved, wondering if there's freedom for them. God, I pray that through this text that you would show them what it means to walk in the light, God, that you would show them that forgiveness in Christ is a real, real truth and a a reality that can be theirs today. And so, God, we pray that you would work in in a mighty way today, that we'd walk out of here healed and freed from our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, we introduced the first signpost and the first marker of how you know that you are saved. And we're looking at this doctrine of assurance throughout the book of 1 John. And last week, we looked at how you can have assurance that you're saved if you have a Jesus-centered fellowship with other believers. And we looked at the role of community and what it means to do life with other people and how that can be a gift and a tool that the Lord uses to give you assurance uh, that you are saved. We looked at that idea of having fellowship uh, with others. Well, today we turn our attention to 1 John chapter 5, verses, uh, uh, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, at signpost number 2. And this is the signpost. It says that you are living in the light by resting on Christ's finished work. That you are living in the light by resting on Christ's finished work. I'm going to try to connect this idea of what it means to walk in the light and how that gives you assurance that you are a follower of Jesus, and how what Jesus accomplished on the cross makes that a reality uh, for us. I want to start by looking at verse 5, because verse 5 really serves as the foundation for this marker that you are saved. Verse 5 is, um, is really the, the ground that we stand on for knowing if you are truly walking in the light. That John says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, so this is John's message. This is his ministry. This is what he testified to the believers here. This is what he experienced from the Lord Jesus, that God is light, meaning that God is perfect, meaning that God is holy, meaning that darkness cannot overcome God who is Light. So this is the foundation that he will now draw out uh, moral and ethical implications. And John does this throughout this whole letter. This might be something to pay attention to throughout the book of 1 John. He will uh, list and name different God is statements like God is light or God is spirit or God is love. And then he will draw out from there different moral and ethical implications and applications because that is true. Now, that's a really helpful tip for how we are to live in the Christian life. We start with who God is, which informs how we are to live. So if you start with how we are to live, and then you try to force something about God, you're going to take something out of context and maybe live an imbalanced life. And so John starts here by saying that God is light. This is not a, a new concept at all. This is all throughout the Old Testament. And he will draw out from there different implications for how we are to live. And so the moral implication for God being light and there is no darkness in him at all is centered on this question, that if God is truly light and there is no darkness, there is no sin in him at all, then how can people with sin actually have fellowship with God? Like, how does that actually work? Maybe furthermore... If you're a Christian this morning, if you're covered by the blood and the righteousness of Christ, and yet you still have sin in your life, how can you have fellowship with God who is light? See, some would say that sin is evidence that you're not a Christian. And so how how does this work if you are a Christian yet you still wrestle with sin in your life? That's the moral uh, dilemma that we are faced with that John will tease out for us in this passage. Now, John's going to answer this question by contrasting light and darkness. He's going to use this beautiful contrast to show us that living in the light are those who have assurance that they're saved, they're those who are walking in obedience to the Lord, and those who are walking in darkness are those who are either not saved or they don't have assurance of their salvation. So this contrast of light and darkness, he kind of puts real people uh, in front of us to see what that looks like. In fact, he describes for us three different kinds of people uh, throughout our passage that will actually serve as our outline this morning. Three different kinds of people. The first two do not know God or do not have assurance that they are saved, and the last person is someone who does know God. Here they are uh, if you're taking notes this morning. The first person is in verse six, someone who willfully and defiantly sins and so will never submit to Jesus as Lord. Okay, That is someone who I will describe as someone who has a false repentance. Okay, That's number one, verse six. Number two comes from verses eight and 10. This is someone who refuses to admit their sinfulness, and so will never receive Jesus as their savior. This is someone who has a lack of awareness of their sin. They haven't come to terms with the sin that's in their life. So that's number two. The third person is someone who is saved, who has assurance of their salvation. And this is someone who is walking in the light by resting upon Christ's finished work. And that comes from verse seven and nine of chapter one and verses one and two of chapter two. Okay, so three people we're gonna look at to help us understand what it means to walk in the light. Here's number one, someone who has a false repentance, false repentance. Verse six, John says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so John very bluntly and very clearly says that if you are walking in darkness, you cannot claim to be in fellowship with God. You're, you're a liar if you do. And so within this Light and dark metaphor that John uses, light refers to obedience, light refers to uh, holiness, light even refers to an openness before the Lord, and yet darkness refers to sin and refers to hiding. Now, this idea of walking or to walk comes from the Greek word here, peripeteo. This is a really important word. This is a word that, that the Apostle Paul uses all the time throughout his writings, and this is a phrase used to describe someone's lifestyle. Okay? This is a, uh, a term used to describe a theme in someone's life. This is not a simple, single moral lapse, but refers to a habit in an individual's life. So what John is saying here is that if you are walking in darkness, if you are living in habitual sin if sin is that is a theme in your life then you cannot claim to be in fellowship with God now you should ask the question how how do individuals claim to be in fellowship with God and yet they're habitually living in darkness like how does that how does that play out to to claim to be a Christian and yet to be in sin well I think it's because of this idea of false repentance. It's this idea that people think that they can claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet not repent of their sins. That they claim that they're, that, that they're a Christian because they believe in God and yet nothing about their life has actually changed and actually has changed. And, and so usually these individuals, I would say, oftentimes are relying on some sort of prayer in order to save themselves, and yet not true faith and repentance in Jesus. Some sort of of prayer that they prayed maybe to appease their parents or, or their friends, or they got caught up in emotionalism, and yet there are no fruits of repentance in their life. Now, this is way more prevalent than you and I, uh, would ever think. In fact, Barna study did, um, did a, a research study on this in 2011, and they showed that 50% of Americans, 50% of Americans say that they have prayed some kind of sinner's prayer, even though that half of them have no regular presence in any kind of church or have lifestyles and worldviews that in no way differ from those outside of the Christian faith. 50%. It's a high, high amount of people who claim that they prayed some prayer and yet nothing about the way that they live their life has actually changed. And so when these individuals, when they hear that you need Jesus in order to be saved, they think to themselves, oh, I've been there, I've done that. I've prayed the prayer. I've, I've gone down the aisle. I've filled out the card. Like it was a really meaningful service for me. My grandma was there. She, she cried and her, her tears are stained on that card that I have. See, so that they have this, this false repentance because they've been falsely assured because they think some type of prayer saved them. And if the reality is, is that there's no such prayer in the Bible that says that that, that saves you. There's no holy or some type of ritual or some sort of equation. What saves us is the faith and the repentance behind the prayer that's being expressed in and through the prayer. It's kind of like sitting down in a chair. Like if I had a chair up here, and I stood up here, and I described how sturdy and how strong that chair is. And I talked about, man, this chair is so great, and I described the details of it yet I haven't demonstrated my full trust and faith in that chair until I actually sit down and I rest in the chair. See, there are people who can describe Jesus, who can outline what it means to be a Christian, and yet there are those who have not sat down in Christ and are trusted in the finished work of Jesus. See, verse six are are the kinds of people who want to maintain their relationship with sin and yet still claim to be a Christian in title. It's kind of like if I, if I uh, said to my wife, I said, hey, I, I wanna be married to you, but I still wanna maintain all of my relationships with my ex-girlfriends. I still wanna date them, I still wanna text them and still connect with them, like, are you good with that? Like, you're still gonna be number one, I'm just gonna have all these other relationships. She was like, no, like, I don't, want, I don't wanna be your number one, I wanna be your only one. See, and, These people in verse six are those that want to have all kinds of different relationships with their sin and yet still claim to still be in a relationship with the Lord. And so how do you know? How do you know that verse six describes you? How do you know if you're living in darkness Maybe you had an encounter, an emotional experience with the Lord and you prayed a prayer, you filled out a card and yet you're still living in habitual sin. Here are some questions to ask yourself. Number one, is there a particular sin in your life that is habitual, maybe part of your normal life? Like has sin been a part of your life, maybe a particular kind of sin in your life as long as you can remember? Question number two, have you stopped fighting the sin in your life? Have you given up just the consistent practice of confession and repentance? Have you almost kind of struck a deal with the sin in your life? Like, hey, I'm going to keep you in my life, but just don't get too crazy. It's almost like having pet sins in your life. Like you kind of take care of it. It's in your life, and yet it doesn't get out of control. Question number three is have you made excuses to rationalize the presence in your life? Have you said things like, well, my dad was like this? Or all men struggle with this? Or other women live this way, so I'm sure it's okay. Blame-shifting and excuse-making, rationalizing sin are all indicators that you might be living in darkness Now, depending on how you answer those questions, that tells you if you are uh, verse six. Like this is important to wrestle with. This is important to understand even if you are truly a follower of Jesus because of the danger of being falsely assured. This idea of false repentance and, and not really cutting things off with sin is something that can trip us up as followers of Jesus. And it's important because I think what John is trying to show us here is that your identity actually drives your actions. Like who you are informs how you live. What John is saying here is, if you claim to have your identity in Christ, who is the light, then you should walk in the light. He's saying that you can't claim to have your identity in Christ and yet walk in darkness. In other words, you can't love Jesus and embrace what he died to put an end to. And yet, verse six, this person is someone who has falsely repented. Individual number two here that John shows us of someone who also does not know God or does not have assurance of their salvation comes from verses eight and 10. This is someone who has a lack of awareness of sin. Verses eight and 10, if you look at them, they're virtually synonymous. And if the heir of the first person that we just looked at was living in sin, then the heir of this person is on the other side of the spectrum of sin. This is someone who is not aware of the sin that's in their life or someone who has not come to terms with the sin that's in their life. John says that being unaware of the sinfulness of your heart is a sign that you don't know God that one of the first evidences of the light of grace coming into your life is that God actually gives you, gives you eyes to see the sinfulness in your heart. That's, a, that's the first sign of, of really becoming a Christian. It's kind of like if you and I were in a room together and it was pitch black, you couldn't see anything, and I knew that the room was messy and dirty, and yet you didn't know that. And I ask you the question, hey, is this room clean or is it dirty? And you really don't know because you can't see, but let's say that you want to be known as a person with a clean room. So you grab some Febreze and you kind of spray it around, You know, try to hide what's really going on. And let's say that I light a match, and a small match. You can kind of see some things in the room and you notice that there are some clothes on the floor, maybe a dresser's been overturned. What if I hand you a flashlight and you turn on that flashlight, you start seeing different things in the room. You see the bed isn't made, the sheets are all dirty. And what if I go over to the light switch and I turn on the lights and all the lights are on in the room and there you can see the full dirtiness that's in the room. You can see the, the dust that's on the furniture. You can see some mildew that's started to develop around the baseboards. See, that that is what it's like when God awakens your heart to the beauty of the gospel. That's the first sign that God turns the lights on in your heart to see the dirt, to see the sin, to see the filthiness of, of your sin and the wickedness that's in your hearts. And, and this, is, this is one of the things that people are so resistant to admitting. Like people will admit that they're not perfect, right? Like they'll admit that, yeah, I'm not perfect. I sometimes make mistakes here and there. But when you say, no, no, you are worthy of God's condemnation, You are worthy of of being eternally separated from God. That's when people push back. See, people people generally believe that they're good people that just so happen to kind of make mistakes uh, from time to time. And yet John says that someone who does not know God is someone who refuses to come to terms with the sin that's in their life. This awareness of our sin, the awareness of what Scripture has to say, that there is no one righteous, no, not even one, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory. This is evidence that the light of the gospel is shining in your hearts. Look, this is not even just true for unbelievers, but this is also true for us as followers of Jesus, those that truly have been changed by the gospel that a great sign that you're growing in the grace of the gospel is that you become more aware of the sin that's in your life. To the people that, that say, yeah, I'm really growing, I'm not struggling as much with sin that's in my life, that might be a sign that you're more blind than you realize. So the closer that you get to God, the more holy you might actually be, but the more dirty you might actually feel. So I know for me in my life, like right now in my life, like it's so frustrating and yet it's, it's freeing, but I am more aware of the depth of the sin that's in my life than when I first got converted when I first became a follower of Jesus. Now I believe I've got less sin in my life. I truly believe that, but because I've grown in what it means that God is holy and, and what it means that, that I'm a sinner and the different idols that were hiding that weren't really being exposed until I got closer to the Lord. Like I, I'm more aware of the wickedness that's in my life than ever before. And look, that's a sign that you are growing in the Lord. It's kind of like uh, uh, Isaiah's experience, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, where he has this experience before God. He's standing before the holy God in his presence and he says, woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. That's his conclusion. This is a prophet of God. This is a man who is like at the top of the food chain spiritually. And yet he has this encounter with God and his conclusion is not, man, I feel close to God. I'm good. I feel very spiritual right now. No, no, his conclusion, the closer he got to God, was his sinfulness and his own wickedness that's in his heart? But closeness to God doesn't make you feel holier, even though you are. It makes you feel dirtier because his holy light is exposing more of the sin that's been hiding in your life that you couldn't see until you got closer to him. Look, this naturally should change the way that we view some of those things in our lives that, exposes sin that's hiding there, right? Some of those things that cause us to be frustrated, inconveniences, disappointments, different situations, different people, maybe a difficult boss, maybe a spouse that's inconsiderate, uh, maybe friends or a roommate that's just hard to, to do life with. Kids in general have a way of exposing sin that's in our lives. I know for me, I didn't realize how impatient I I am until I'm trying to get my four-year-old to eat her mac and cheese. Like, just eat your food. Like, it's good, right? Like, this impatience, like, comes out through different things that the Lord puts in our lives, And, and so shouldn't we be thankful for those things instead of complaining about them? Like, shouldn't we view those as God's grace to us that he's revealing some of the sin that's been hiding there? And he's using those things almost as instruments so that we can confess it, so that we can repent of it. That they're actually gifts, that he's trying to move my sin from darkness and into the light. But Jesus has saved us from the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. The presence of sin is something that we. Wage war against each and every day. And so knowing that you are saved is not denying the presence of sin. It's actually fighting the sin. And so in verse 8, when John says that, that this individual has deceived himself, what he's referring to is this, this deception that because you're closer to God means that you don't fight as much with sin, that you almost become relaxed with sin, that you don't have sin in your life. And if you fall into that deception, it can strip you away of your assurance in Christ. So, those are the first two individuals. So, apologize for the tone here, but this is the tone that John is setting here. Sin is, is not something that we play around with, that falling into sin and living in sin habitually can rob us of having this assurance that we are saved. Okay, now let's, uh, let's turn our attention to the individual who is walking in the light. It's in verse seven and nine of chapter one. Chapter two, uh, the first couple of verses, this is an individual who is saved and has assurance of their salvation. Now what I'm gonna do in these four verses, these are really powerful, important verses. There are some really important concepts weaved in and through them. I'm gonna try to, to show you how they're all connected here and how this actually gives us Assurance. Okay, so I'm going to walk through each of them for us. Look at verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, now we want what he's describing there, right? He, we want the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. And he's saying that is dependent on walking in the light. And so what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, one of the best explanations of walking in the light actually comes from another book that John wrote, the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. Listen to this. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, referring to Jesus, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, so this idea of walking in the light is an openness towards God about your sin. That darkness is keeping things hidden. Walking in the light is walking in this type of way of allowing your life to be exposed before the light of God and in his holiness. So walking in the light does not mean that those who do never sin, but those who do sin, they never tried to hide the fact that they do sin before the Lord. Okay, so this is not a call for perfection, but this is a call for transparency before God about the reality of our sin, so that we can appropriately put it to death. Look, you need to know this morning that our enemy wants to keep your sin in darkness, that he is scared out of his mind of your sin moving from being in darkness to being in the light. Because look, he knows that when your sin is moved from darkness to the light, that's when healing begins. That's when freedom can be experienced. That's when the chains of sin actually fall off. But if you keep your sin in darkness, hidden from God, shame and guilt are going to wrap their fingers around your life, and they're going to whisper things to you that simply are not true. They're going to whisper things like, man, that sin is actually who you are, that that sin actually defines you now. You're gonna fall into negative self-talk, believing the lies of our enemy. Look, the enemy does not want you to move these things into a position of openness before the Lord where you can actually find freedom. Look, one of the key ways that we walk in the light is found in the beauty of verse nine. At verse nine, we see a person who is walking in the light is someone who confesses their sin and finds forgiveness. Look at verse nine here. He says, if we confess our sins, if we move it into the light, if we allow ourselves to be open before God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, the, the word confess here. this is in the present tense. This is a, 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 an ongoing activity in the life of a believer. This should be a theme in your life, that you are confessing your sin, you're moving it into the light. Confessing our sin is saying the same things about our sin as what God says about our sin, right? It's not explaining it away, it's not denying its existence, it's not living in it, but it's bringing it before the Lord and confessing it in hopes of finding forgiveness. And look, that's exactly what he says uh, happens because God is faithful and just. He will forgive you because he is faithful and just. If you're like me, you'd expect that to read, that he is merciful and kind. But no, he forgives us because he is faithful and just. He's faithful to his promises that if you are broken, if you are humble before him and you confess your sins, he will forgive you. But he's also just because he forgives us not out of leniency, but he forgives us out of justice, that his demands of justice have been met in the finished work of Jesus. And so God forgives you because he's just, because he cannot withhold forgiveness for those who have confessed their sins because of what Jesus has accomplished. Okay, you with me still? So this is the foundation for how we can walk in light, that John is connecting this idea of walking in the light can be a reality because of the finished work of Jesus, that we can be open with God about our sin, we can own our sin, we can confess our sin because of what Jesus has accomplished. Okay, that's his point in chapter two, uh, the first two verses here. Let me read these and just, just let these words, just, just see the beauty of Jesus in chapter two, verses one and two here. He says, my little children, he says, I am writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so he's starting to lay the groundwork for why we can walk in the light, why we can be open before God with our sin. Now there are two concepts in verses one and two that I want to unpack for us uh, that shows us the beauty of Jesus. It's the words propitiation in verse two and advocate in verse one. Let's start with the P word, propitiation. Now, this is a hard word to understand. Uh, this is probably not a word that all of us use in everyday uh, conversation. In fact, I'm sure there are some uh, pastors out there that say I shouldn't even explain these words, like what's the meaning of these words, and yet I, I believe that the richest truths in the Bible are found in words such as these. And look, and if we can, if we can understand and learn all the different drinks at Starbucks And all the fancy words there, we can understand words like propitiation, okay? So hang with me here. This is a really important concept to show us what it means to walk in the light. The word propitiation means that a claim against you has been satisfied, okay? Literally, wrath has been absorbed and goodwill replaces ill will, okay? So for example, if you were in a car accident and you were at fault, and you caused thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of damages, there is a claim against you. There's probably anger against you as well, okay? Let's say that you pay for those damages, and that person is propitiated, okay? The penalty has been paid. The damages have been paid, and anger has been removed. And so it's not just paying the penalty. It's also that wrath has been satisfied, Okay, so this is a big fancy word to describe both meanings here. And what John is saying is that Jesus propitiated the holy wrath of God against our sin by suffering the full penalty in our place. And so on the cross, every ounce of penalty that you and I deserved, every claim that is against you because of the sin that you and I have committed has been paid for and was poured out upon Jesus. Look, this means that there is no more wrath left for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation if you are in Jesus Christ. That means that you can walk in the light. That means that, that real freedom can be yours in Jesus. That means that that sin no longer defines you. Look, that, that divorce that you might've had does not define you. That pornography in your history does not define you. Look, the the anxious thoughts and the fears that, that rummage around in your heart, those do not define you. You are now in Christ, and if you are in Christ, all of those claims that the accuser wants to bring before your father has been paid for because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Look, and what this means is that We can walk in the light and have this type of freedom in our day and day out experience. So John addresses the question, well, what if we do continue to sin? Okay, Jesus paid for it, but like, how do we know if we're really in Christ? Well, this leads to uh, the second word, advocate, in chapter 2, verse 1. John says, look, I don't want you to sin. Try not to sin. But if you do, know that you have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus. Advocate is a legal term. This is referring to someone who argues your case before the bar of justice on your behalf. Okay, so if you're a Christian, Jesus is your advocate before the Father, that he stands like a lawyer pleading your case. Look, this is also why verse nine can be true in your life. This reality that he's an advocate allows us to confess our sin and find forgiveness. Now, what is Jesus arguing on our behalf? What is he saying before the father? See, usually an advocate argues for your innocence, but we've already established the fact that we are not innocents, that we are worthy of condemnation. So what is he arguing for us? Jesus is arguing for the propitiation that he accomplished in his substitutionary work on the cross. He is saying to the Father, look, you cannot hold Chris's sins against him. I've already suffered the full penalty for him. There's no more claim against, against Chris because I've paid for it. Look, I, I used to think that Jesus being my advocate uh, was something like this, where Jesus stood in the courtroom of heaven. And, and he stood before the father and he's got all of these different case folders before him. And so he finds the one marked Beals, he whips out my folder and he goes before the father and he says, father, it's Beals again. This is the you know, 500th time that I've come before you, but look, let's just give him another chance. Like he's a, he's a really good guy. Just come on, you, you owe me father. Like I went to earth and I, I suffered and I died. Like you owe me, like be, be lenient towards Chris. I used to think that that's that's what this meant here. And like that brought some comfort. And yet I always wondered, like, is his leniency going to be up? Like, is he going to, uh, is his patience going to run out on me? Is he going to respond to Jesus and say, no, 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 this is one too many. Chris is going to have to pay for this one, even, even with you in his corner, Jesus. So like this meaning does not mean that Jesus is advocating for our innocence He's not appealing for leniency or mercy. Jesus is appealing for justice on our behalf. Jesus is saying to the Father, you cannot hold them accountable for their sin because it's already been paid for. Jesus is saying, I took the penalty due to him so that he could have the credit due to me. He's not begging for God to be lenient with us. He's begging God to be true to his justice. So I don't know about you, but for me, that, that gives me great confidence before God. Like that gives me assurance in the gospel that I know that I am received by God, that I'm accepted before God, I am loved by God, not because of how well that I have lived, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. That what Jesus pleads on behalf of sinners is what he himself has done on their behalf. And look, that enables me to now walk in the light, to not cover up my sin, not try to hide my sin, but to bring it before God, to confess it, and to receive the forgiveness, not to earn salvation, but because salvation has already been earned because of Jesus. Look, confidence in the gospel leads to walking in the light. As Keller puts it, he says that the gospel is that you are simultaneously more wicked than you ever imagined, and yet at the same time, you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare to hope. And look, that beautiful reality produces both humility and confidence. That produces humility because you recognize how wicked your heart actually is, and at the same time, you recognize how complete Jesus' work on the cross actually is. So, look, that tension is the tension of the Christian life that we have this humility because of how wretched we are, and yet we've got confidence and assurance because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, and that produces this type of assurance that you are saved. So how do you know? How do you know if you're walking in the light? So I provided some questions uh, to help us understand if you're walking in darkness. Here are a couple of questions to ask yourself if you, know, if you are walking in the light. Number one, you know that you're walking in the light if you, if you are, well, let me just put this in a question form. Are you open and transparent with your sin before God? Are you, are you trying to hide your sin? Are you trying to explain it away, trying to blame shift, or are you open and transparent before God? Question number two is, are you becoming more and more aware of the sin that's in your life? Are you feeling dirtier, even though you are living more holy because you're drawing closer and closer to the Lord? Question number three is, do you have a consistent rhythm of confessing your sin before God? Is that once in a blue moon? Is that a daily thing? Is this this a rhythm in your life that you're confessing your sin, not just being open about it, not just being aware of it, but bringing it before the Lord? And the question number four is are you experiencing the forgiveness of God that breaks the power of sin in your life? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that God has forgiven your sins so that the chains of sin are broken in your life. Look, the presence of sin might still be there, but you are gaining victory over sin that's in your life. Look, those are good indicators that you are walking in the lights, that you understand that you have an advocate in Jesus, that you understand that he has propitiated the holy wrath of God in your place. So look, how do you know that you're a Christian? The answer is as simple as it is true, that you know that you are a Christian because Christ has made you his own, because Christ will hold you fast, because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, that Christ knows you, he's forgiven you, he washes you with his own divine blood, and he will never let you go. And you are so sure of that, of Christ's finished work, that you live in the light in repentance and love for Jesus. But before I close this morning, I I just wanna talk to those of you who are here today and you are enslaved in your sin. Those of you who are living in darkness where sin is a habitual theme in your life. And, And I wanna say this as loving as possible to you today that the reality is is that you may be saved but you may be not that what John has to say here is that you have no assurance of your salvation today. If your life contradicts your claim to being a Christian, that John would say that you're a liar. And yet at the same time, I wanna say this as confidently as I can, that if you're living in sin today, Jesus wants to set you free. That Jesus wants to cleanse you from all of your sin and he wants to break the chains of sin that might be in your life. Look, you need to hear this morning that verse 6 does not have to be the end of your story. That verse 6 of claiming to be in fellowship in God and yet you're living in sin, that does not have to be your life. Like if you're here today and you feel like you've got two different lives, two different stories that you live one way in front of Christians and yet another way at work or on the weekends or behind closed doors. Look, aren't you tired of that life? Isn't that exhausting to try to keep up both kinds of fronts of claiming to be in fellowship with God and yet living in sin? Look, I want you to know that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23 promises that, that you might be hiding your sin now, but it will find you. You out. And so this morning, the invitation is open for you to come to Jesus today. That verse 9 can be your story. Verse 9 of confessing your sin. He is faithful. He is just because of Jesus, and He will forgive you of all of your unrighteousness. To come to Christ today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you for the conviction of your word. God, we thank you for your care in our lives. God, you know how destructive sin is. You know how deceiving it is. So God, thank you for moments like these where we just sit under your your word and we ask it to speak to us, to shine a light into those dark places in our heart to expose us. God, I pray for those who are here today who come to church every week, and yet who are falsely assured, whose lives are living in darkness, chained to sin. God, would you set them free today? God, would you show them the beauty of Jesus, the power of Jesus, that there is no sin that's beyond your grace, that there is no sin that Jesus' blood cannot wash clean? So God, would you give them faith and repentance a posture of openness before you. We pray in Christ's name.